What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. Hey everyone, it's Yasir and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by a co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT, live on Twitter space, if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, slightly different, and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format, and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Good evening, Tony. How's it going, man? Yeah, I'm all right. Thanks. Hopefully, uh, everybody else is too. Most definitely, most definitely. Um, guys, just a quick one ahead of uh, this space. Gerard uh, will be with us shortly, but he, he's, he's having a few issues with his connection. Um, so, Tony's kindly offered to step in. Um, so, Tony, you know, just straight off the bat, I think maybe just worth a couple of intros just for myself and yourself. I don't know if you want to start things off. <coughs> Sure. So, uh, my name's Tony Me. I'm uh, a full-time. Well, I'm a part-time coach now. What am I talking about? Uh, worked for the FA as a tutor for about fifteen years. Twenty years uh, as a full-time coach in the academy game, uh, working with Cat Three clubs. Now, full-time carer, looking after a disabled wife, and coaching just on a part-time basis these days. Awesome, awesome. Um, 
and guys, yeah, just uh, similar to Tony, really. Just been coaching for probably not as long, uh, definitely not as long, but um, spent the last fifteen years working across different different levels of the game. More recently, working as a coach developer um, across a range of different qualifications that the FA run, uh, from the UEFA C to UEFA B to the national goalkeeping course and even the the national talent ID uh, certificate as well. So. Um, hopefully plenty of insights um, to share and experiences to share between myself and Tone and Gerald when he joins us. Um, so Tone, I'm, I'm going to throw it you know, straight straight to you and ask you, you know, obviously with all the you know, range of experiences that you've had, both working you know, in academy football and now obviously predominantly working in grassroots um, football, what are, your, what are your thoughts in terms of how the goalkeeper has been integrated over the years and what, is, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen and then we can look to unpack why and maybe when those changes maybe came into place. Sure. So I think that for from from what I see of other coaches working, um, and I'm talking now in my current role, um, very few uh, coaches that are that are working in the grassroots game have, in my opinion, sufficient experience. Uh, to really and truly affect their goalkeepers within a session. Uh, I find that they, unless they're going to play a small-sided game where the, where the keeper can just be the keeper, um, they don't get enough coaching, in my opinion. So, you know, if you're talking about that, then, you know, why, why do you think that is? Do you think it's because just there isn't enough goalkeeping coaches around? Goalkeeping coaches typically are, if you like, in many respects, especially when it comes to grassroots football in particular, they're kind of off doing their own thing and they have almost goalkeeping training centres, if you like. And then, you know, how, how does that, how do you think that then influences and impacts the ability of the goalkeeper to really be integrated in the team? So I think that the point you make about the lack of goalkeeper coaches is a valid one. Uh, it's something that we touched on briefly. I think it was last week when uh, when we were we were talking about the, the the sort of the the pathway that's been in existence for the last probably ten or fifteen years, whereby um, to get on to a decent level of goalkeeper coaching course, you also had to be. Um, a UEFA B outfield uh, coach. Um, I think from what you were saying last week, that's now changed, uh, which is which is good because it should give coaches that the, that want to specialise um, or even just want to improve their knowledge a, a bit more of a chance to to get on the ladder. Um, the old level two, uh, as it was now, the UEFA C used to include a goalkeeping module. Um, so coaches were given a little bit of knowledge around the basic stuff, hand position, stance, movement, those types of things. Um, but I guess that unless you particularly wanted to work with goalkeepers at the time, it was just a little, almost a box ticking exercise. Yeah, it's interesting, obviously, you know, just to kind of clarify, you know, the pathway has changed, you know, gone are the days where you needed to, you know, have the outfall qualification to move on to the goalkeeping one specifically, if you like. Um, at least, 
um, beyond level two. So if you are a UAFC or a level two holder, you can move straight into um, obviously the goalkeeping side of it, which is a national goalkeeping course now. Um, but beyond that, as long as you've got that UAFC license or a level two, and you've done your national goalkeeping certificate, you can progress to go and do your goalkeeping UA for B. Um, however, if you wanted to progress to the goalkeeping A license, you would still need the outfield UA for B. So I think, you know, just to provide some clarity on that, but, uh, you know, I think there's a couple of things in what you said then. A box ticking exercise, um, I understand why you probably refer to it in that in that way. But I think this is where, I guess, the, 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 you know, if, the, if they're not... If, the coaches aren't necessarily going to go down the route and of you know going on to the goalkeeping specific courses. I think modules like that, even within the old level two, probably very worth you know probably worth their weight in gold for any coaches that truly want to help to support the players in their teams, right? Um, and depending on what level you're working at, you know there's a there's an emphasis of just giving the basics and having just a basic understanding of what the goalkeeper is expected to do and maybe some of the technical pieces that come with that. Um, in which you know, which is still kind of somewhat consistent with the UFSC license. In that, you know, there is messages around how to effectively integrate the goalkeeper, and you know how your practice design should be informed to support the players and um, the goalkeeper themselves. So I think there's there's a few bits in there. I think you know it'd be interesting to get from your perspective. You know, as someone who doesn't specialize in goalkeeping. How how would you go about supporting the goalkeeper and integrating them in into that? And you know, what are some key things that you in your journey as an outfield coach? Because you know, for for me personally, I've I've had the you know the pleasure of actually going down the route of doing some of the goalkeeping courses of you know up to UEFA B goalkeeping. So I've got a bit of an insight. I had a bit of a background working with goalkeepers, but I don't actually consider myself a goalkeeping coach specifically. So you know, for someone who maybe probably doesn't consider themselves a goalkeeping coach at all. What does that look like for you? And in, in, in a way, have you seen some good examples of others doing it in a way where actually they've truly integrated a goalkeeper into the team? Yeah, I think that from uh, again uh, going back now, uh, not having to go back too far to to my academy days, where you you had a specialist goalkeeper coach, um, but for a long time there was I'd I'd, I'd say. At, at times we had a, there was a lack of joined up thinking where the goalkeeper coaches might be working on um let's say the goalkeeper coaches were working on hand position and shot stopping for example the outfield coach might be working with the outfield players on playing out from the back just again just to use that as a simple example so there's an example there where if 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 there's no joined up thinking those two things are disconnected. You know, if the outfield players are working on playing out from the back, for example, then why not get together with a goalkeeping coach beforehand? This is what we're working on. Can you work on short-range distribution, for example, uh, as, a, as a start point? Um, that way, uh, and that's, uh, that's where practice design comes into it, I suppose, because... As an outfield coach, if you're not going to think about your goalkeeper, then you're doing that goalkeeper or those goalkeepers a bit of a disservice. They're not getting the same level of attention that your outfield players are getting. And that can sometimes lead to a little bit of, of a, a them and us situation. So if if you're working in an environment where you haven't got a goalkeeper coach, you owe it to 
to that player and the rest of your team to upskill yourself, I suppose. No, I think it's a great point. I guess, you know, one of the things that I just kind of I thought about as you were speaking there, do you, do you, I mean, do you think there's a danger that outfield coaches could just assume, right, here's a goalkeeping coach working with these players, um, so we're going to allow them to do their thing? And, and a reason why I asked that question, because I could just think about certain moments where I've been up observing coaches' work and I've, you know, there is some really good stuff out there taking place and there's some really horrendous stuff out there taking place and it's almost because coaches aren't well in, well, that well-informed around the goalkeeping position to kind of stay far away from it and don't really challenge some of the stuff that's going on. I mean, I don't know what your, what your experience or what your observations are around that type of thing. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and again, it goes back to that that point of how much goalkeeper training are coaches receiving at the at the basic levels. You know, even and, and I know again this course has probably disappeared a little bit now. When when we go back to the old level one course, although there was no real coaching as such, there were certain practices within that um, within that course that would lend themselves to a little bit of improvement around the goalkeeper position, whether it just be basic handling, for example. Um, but as an outfield coach, if you're uncomfortable with the actual skills required um, for, for effectively working with your goalkeeper and integrating your goalkeeper into your practices, I think you will steer away from it a little bit and, I guess the 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 sort of the biggest live example that I can think of um, around this, uh, and I think I shared the document a couple of weeks ago. Um, when I went to York City as academy manager, it was when the E Triple P was first coming into into being, um, and basically you had to have all these different documents, and so we'd got bits and pieces of playing philosophy and position-specific stuff for all your outfield players. And we didn't have anything at all for the goalkeeper. Um, we didn't have a full-time goalkeeping coach at the time. This was right in the very early stages. There was an old guy who, who was a great coach, uh, but unqualified, ex-pro goalkeeper, who was responsible for the academy goalkeepers at the time. And I ended up putting this document together based off something that I'd seen for outfield players called a technical map. And it was just a list of expectations. And that really got me thinking, you know, what do we expect from a Cat 3 Academy goalkeeper at under nine years of age? What do we expect from him as an under 11, an under 13, an under 15, uh, and so on and so forth? Um, so, so putting that together gave me a greater insight into actually this is what we need. This is what the goalkeepers should be able to do. And if they can do X, Y, Z as well, then it, it's an absolute bonus. So that, that thought that kind of changed my way of thinking around the goalkeepers, because as I said, up until then, I'd probably had very, very little to do with um, training goalkeepers other than having them in my group and when I worked on the college program, where it was just me, then I might have to. Uh, there might be the odd session 
where I would send the outfield players, right, you go down there, the, the, the skipper will look after you lot. You can go and do some bits and pieces. I just want to do a little bit of work with the goalkeepers for half an hour. And that was probably as much attention as I ever gave them. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting. Obviously, you're talking about, you know, effectively, you're almost forced into considering the goalkeeper, right? And I think, you know, I, I, I'm just thinking from my own experiences working as a goalkeeper coach, well, what, what would that have been like for me, you know, putting together that plan from under nine through to kind of under under 15, 16, or just working right across the spectrum? So, you know, just where did you, you know, obviously you said, you know, you mentioned there about the, the technical map that you had with the outfield players. Uh, you know, th we're thinking back a few years now, but where did your mind first take you in, in terms of that? You know, because obviously now you put yourself, to, you know, to some extent being forced to put yourself out of your comfort zone, where it really started to maybe examine oh, what do we want a goalkeeper to look like at Cat 3? So, you know, what, what, what was that back then? And, you know, where do you see that now? I mean, from my perspective, there's a pet peeve of mine, if you like, is um, when, you know, when people are saying, oh, yeah, this goalkeeper's a good shot stopper. Yeah, we, we understand that. But is that is that good enough? Is that is that all we need? Um, at what stage in the eight, you know, what age and stage do we start to consider something different for, uh, for the profile of the goalkeeper? And obviously, there's a large part to play based on, the playing philosophy and the type of um, environment you're trying to set for the for the players and, and the pathway that they, they, we're following in terms of are you preparing a goalkeeper that's moving into a pathway for maybe League Two as opposed to that of a Premier League club? Um, what does that look like? Is there any differences? Should there be any differences? And what are maybe the base things that we go after? And you know, I've got a few ideas in my head before I kind of delve into into some mics, but just keen to explore what that looked like for you back then and whether you know your perceptions or your thoughts around what that was changed over time yeah so i think that it was it was one of the biggest challenges um that i faced in terms of getting getting the club ready for um an e triple p audit five months after going into the job with barely any documentation around anything so having to put this together what i did was i used the the experience that I'd had, I'd, I'd been working in academy football for, I think, 11 years by by this time. So I, I had a decent grounding. I'd, I'd gone through a lot of mid-season and end-of-season reviews with players at different age groups. Um, and but, uh, the, the, the other thing is I've always be, you know, been open to to working with with people with more knowledge than me. So if there was something that I wasn't sure of, then I'd run it by the foundation phase lead uh, or we'd sit we'd sit down as a group. What do we want our keepers to look like at this age? I'd sit down with the with the YD phase lead, which was the position that I'd come from anyway. So, you know, I'd, I'd been dealing with under 13, 14, 15, 16 goalkeepers um, for for a number of years and getting them ready for or helping to get them ready for scholarship decisions, which is, you know, which is always a difficult period. But having, having gone through those interviews, having watched those training sessions, having stood by when I wasn't coaching and, and watched goalkeeper coaches work with their players. Cause I, I made sure that that was one of the big things for me was, you know, I could go and watch the under 15 outfield coach, but, 99 times out of 100, I've done the session that he's doing or I've seen the session that he's putting on. Whereas with the goalkeepers, 
I hadn't seen that. Um, and we had a programme whereby the goalkeepers would do one night a week uh, of pure goalkeeper training. And for the um, for the the second night that we trained, they would just do like an extended warm-up with the goalkeeper coaches. And then the session design had to incorporate the goalkeepers. And the goalkeeper coach didn't... that He wasn't knocking off and going and getting a cup of coffee. He was then standing by the goal, exp, you know, looking working with the goalkeeper in live situations, um, which again was was an eye opener for me because i hadn't really looked at the game from from their perspective so as an outfield coach as a as any coach really and you know you look at all the guys that are that are on here listening now um show that um that mentality to want to learn a little bit more come off here knowing a little bit that you didn't know before you came on hopefully you know we can we can provide that or some of you guys that are listening who've got lived experience you can come on here and have your say when Yaz opens it up i'm more than happy to to share the document that i came up with i haven't amended it over time because you know i haven't really needed to um and people can have a look at it and criticize and give feedback and if i get some good feedback maybe i'll change it because i think that that's you know that is what that is what good coaches do you you look at what works you if you're a great quote if you're the smartest person in the room go find another room i think you're spot on there tone and i think you know there's one thing i always say about any any interaction i have with coaches especially from a a coach development perspective is, you know, I haven't got any answers that, you know, you're probably not going to find anywhere else, but what, what, what my role will be to do is to challenge your considerations, your perceptions of where your current thinking is, get you to think outside the box, maybe shape your think, you know, shape your thoughts around the idea of considerations that haven't yet been considered variables that haven't been considered you know even looking at little things like you've just touched on there but you know the position of the goalkeeping coach and where they maybe stand and support the goalkeeper you know it sounds like something so simple but actually how well can you offer the perspective of the goalkeepers or how how well can you support the goalkeepers if you haven't got perspective of what they what they're seeing and what they're experiencing it's not always to say that you need to pick up that position um but you know just even just a simple consideration for coaches on this this call right now that are thinking, well, where, where can I start? How can I support? What can I look at? And then it kind of takes me to you know, some of my own experiences. And I think to myself, I remember running a, a CPD workshop about, you know, back end of last summer, I think it was. And um, it was just a basic introduction to goalkeeping coaching it, more than anything else from my perspective. And it was it was interesting. So, you know, the one thing that we, we can say, well, the reason why some players play in goal and some don't is because someone put their bodies on the line and actually get in, get in front of the goal before the ball does, right? So one of the things I've observed in my time is that actually young goalkeepers in general, and even I say young goalkeepers, but just goalkeepers generally in youth football, they're not great at actually catching the ball. Um, and some of them actually dive unnecessarily because all this in their mind and you're rightly so is to keep the ball out the net um but i've always kind of said to myself well that that can't be right so i've always started working on their footwork and their ability to move around the goal and the goal mouth itself because if they're better at moving around the goal then they probably have to make less diving saves and subsequently potentially lead them to more catches now part of that's me 
in, in my thoughts on what a goalkeeper should and uh, maybe could and should be able to do um, in order to perform at a higher level. And you know, I think I mentioned it briefly last week when I talked about three levels of goalkeeping for me. And one of them is protecting the goal, two is maintaining possession, and three is distributing the ball. Um, and you know, if you can get a goalkeeper moving around the goal even at a young age, just to understand in the first instance, right? Yes, you are keeping the ball out of the net, but I don't need to tell you that. That's your job. So I'm going to coach you on how to get to level two and level three in this process, if you like. And, you know, all the rest of the stuff comes with that. And, you know, there will be some universal things that we kind of cover and look at from a young age right through to the, you know, to the senior game, if you like. But fundamentally, it's getting them to understand less about techniques, in my opinion, and more about principles and just understanding well, what's your role at this point in time as a minimum requirement. How do you go above and beyond that? And then how do you exceed expectations? And I think that, that, you know, going back to those three levels is probably a great place to start. And, I, you know, I just go back to, you know, maybe your experiences when building that out and then integrating it with goalkeeping coaches. I think, you know, as outfall coaches yourselves, it's, it's vital. You understand how the goalkeeper wants, you know, how you want the goalkeeper to operate in your teams. And you'll be surprised how much some of the small things that you're already doing with your players is also relevant to your goalkeeper. Obviously, less so with the hands because obviously the outfield players can't use their hands, but well, they shouldn't be using their hands anyway. Um, but more specifically, I'm looking at it from a perspective of, well, there's so many different ways we can integrate the goalkeeper within the team, both on match day and in, and in game, um, in practice, sorry. And it, <clears throat> I think the one challenge I want coaches to start to think about here more than anything is, well, why are we always looking at bringing the goalkeeper into integrate with the team and why not integrate the team within the goalkeeper and what they're doing? And I think just putting that spin on it sometimes, it, it probably, one, puts more value on the goalkeeper and their role in the team itself because fundamentally, the goalkeeper's going to go in the goal and no one else typically wants to do that. So I think it's important for the team to understand that without that goalkeeper, there's going to be some real problems. So how do we better support them and integrate them within the team, not just as coaches, but as players. Um, you know, and I've got a few different thoughts and ideas in my head at the moment, but Tony, I don't, I don't know what your initial thoughts are on that, um, if you've got any. Um, and just while you're about to jump in, just a reminder for everyone, that you know, this is a, a CPD accredited space, um, which I've shared a link in the chat box, or the, the comments below the sh uh, space in particular, where you can click on and you can access your CPD hours off the back of um, this space so please do make sure you do that if you want to get your CPD hours in obviously only applicable to those that with an FA fan number um, and so yeah Tony over to you man yeah I think you made an interesting analogy in there about um, about the movement around the goal um, and there's no in a lot of respects there's no difference between that analogy that you made there with the goalkeepers moving around and outfield players moving around, you know, why uh, I've always said that um, the best defenders have clean socks and shorts because they find themselves in good positions. They don't have to make last ditch tackles. Whereas a lot of people love to see defenders sliding around and making desperate slide tackles down the wing or desperate blocks in front of the goal. You know, if, if we give the keeper the tools to, anticipate and the motor skills to move early then 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 they shouldn't necessarily be diving around the box diving around the six yard box trying to fill all four corners of the goal you know that that's a coaching issue um but 
you know, a lot of it's guesswork when we talk about anticipation because they've then got to deal with deflections. It can make them look silly if they, you know, they've started to anticipate the shot that's going to go in the bottom right hand corner. It takes a deflection. It ends up in the middle of the goal. Um, you look at the one, uh, the the second Man United goal today, where Hoyland's put the ball in off his chest. I think the keeper quite easily had. Um, the initial shot from Garnacho covered. Um, and then Hoyland just turns it in with his chest. The keeper's got no chance. And it, they, it's, it's the loneliest position on the pitch because of some of the stuff that can happen. Um, because, you know, your outfield players generally, if you make a mistake fairly, you know, mid to high up the pitch, even in your own defending third, you, you've got a mate who's, who's there to cover you. Whereas if it happens to the keeper, that deflection, that bad bobble, whatever it is, the keeper's just left exposed and you know, people are shaking their heads and, and turning around and the keepers see that. So it, it's it's a big it's a big consideration in in terms of their role. Um, I like what you say about catching it. Um, and, and again, this this would be just my understanding that with the advent of the faster, lighter, more more unpredictable balls that 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 we play with these days, keepers are not as encouraged to catch a ball these days. And certainly when I when I design my session plans, um, when I do my roles and responsibilities stuff, or when I'm talking to keepers, the decision I always say catch, punch or parry. Uh, and that's the keepers that has to be the keeper's decision based on what they perceive at the time. Uh, and again, just thinking a little bit of recency by everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Watching the... Um watching the game this afternoon, the Luton-Man United game, the number of times the Luton keeper almost like a, a, a it's almost like a two-handed block, a two-handed punch for for balls that are hit straight at him where you're thinking, oh, why didn't you just catch that? Yeah, I think it's a great point, you know, just on that final one and I'll, I'll track it back a little bit as well, but, you know, that... <laughs> It's just like it's like with a player, though, isn't it? You know, when when you when you when you're not in the moment yourself and you're not observing what they're observing, despite everyone having to deal with the same kind of variables, which is something I'm big on. Um, perception of that ball coming in, no matter how easy it looks, might be completely different because we haven't got every insight of what the goalkeeper in question may or may not have had, and that you know that 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 goes the same for our players. You know how many times we've been on the side as coaches, whether goalkeeper coaches or outfield coaches, where we're saying, "Oh, why didn't they do this or why didn't they do that?" Because they didn't see what we saw. Um, because you know, I go back to that phrase I always always use now. You know, are we observing the game through our eyes or their experience? And if we if we look at it from that perspective, we we see a completely different picture. You know, how often are we actually rather than critiquing what we've seen, actually inquiring what we've seen? You know, from a perspective of, well, why did you do that? What did you see? 
you know what, what how did that how did that impact your ability to make a decision um and you know really go into that that explorative kind of discussion with the players so that we can really understand oh actually do you know what they've they've given us some insight that we wouldn't have got unless we asked that question so i think there's there's so much in there in terms of that and but you know one of the other things i would say is well we just <sighs> obviously we're talking about goalkeeping here but i think this applies even even just anywhere on the pitch really it, a lot a lot of it for me it's just physics you know you, you there's just some things that which cannot happen unless you're in certain positions or certain spaces right if you want to deflect the ball you've got to get behind it and you've got to deflect it you can't you can't parry the ball unless it's you know in certain areas where you where you can get behind it you know you're not going to um collapse on a ball that's behind you you're going to collapse on a ball that's to you know slightly in front of you to the side of you you know a lot of this stuff when you when you break it down and examine it in that way it actually you know and i, I don't want to try and oversimplify this and you know discredit any anyone's work that's going on out there but it actually really is and really can be that simple just literally look at what you're trying to do what the goalkeeper's trying to achieve and what it would mean from a physical standpoint and just the, the physics you know science of physics to stop or or to to allow that situation to occur so whether that is catching a ball well you ain't going to catch a ball with one hand if the ball's been belted at me 90 miles an hour gonna have to get two hands behind it you know simple little things like that how often do your goalkeepers actually catch the ball and you know when you break it down is a, is a large amount of the times where they don't catch the ball actually because they've only gone with one hand so then you know if you look at it from a simplistic view from that from you know just on that scenario alone you're then saying well could you know you, you might be challenging whether they you know why they didn't catch it but actually they've never they've not even led with two hands so how are they going to catch it in the first place and just, you know, just little things like that, and the same, the same applies for the outfield players. But I mean, I'm you know I'm conscious that we have got a lot of outfield coaches on this call, and you know there is a few goalkeeping coaches in the room as well. You know, so anyone that wants to share any insights or you know ask any questions, feel free to do so. Just you know unmute your mic and raise your hands to do that. But I think it's just you know for me, it's getting people to understand how simple it is just to get started in terms of considerations and how we better support the goalkeepers and integrate them into the team and you know we do all these I, mem- I remember having a, um, an experience in the academy a few years back and when I first started there I was working with the goalkeepers in the PDP and I've been there for about a few months and then the, you know the academy manager basically says you know in in his own way yeah these goalkeepers need to get better and I said to him well they ain't going to get better working by themselves, are they? So you're going to need to allow me to get some time with the players and integrate them with the team. Um, or more specifically, integrate the team into the into the goalkeeping element of what we're doing. Um, so, you know, just little things that you can kind of start to do and really bridge bridge some of the gaps. And, you know, there's so many different returns and benefits that you can get from it as well. You know, just you know, the amount of people, even though I'm not a fan of it, that might do stuff like rondos. Get your goalkeepers involved in those. You know, it might be a little thing just to kind of emphasise and you know build the connection between the players and and the and the goalkeeper specifically it might be you know using more positional based games where the goalkeeper could be on the outside as a as a bounce player or could be on the inside as a as a player who has to now constantly be looking at how to play the game with or how to play with the game around them as opposed to the game in front of them or inside them if you like and i think there's so many different ways in which you can utilize the goalkeeper and the way you position him in your practices that still allow them to get the returns that you're looking for um, without necessarily having to kind of 
make it a goalkeeping specific session or or just have them as a body in the practice because I think that's one of the biggest dangers we've got sometimes it's almost you know that I don't want to call it an excuse but it's almost coaches giving themselves a get out of jail free card oh there's only one of me I've only I've got a, I've got a squad of 18 players I've got to focus on the outfield players I ain't got time for the goalkeeper well it's not that hard to get them integrated into what you're doing to start with secondly it's just Again, going back to, like I said, just trying to simplify, what are some of the things that you want your goalkeeper to be able to do? And is your practices allowing your goalkeeper to get that? You know, so if you've got a goalkeeper in your sessions and you're doing a, I don't know, a small-sided game or a finishing practice, don't have 50 finishes in the space of two minutes because your goalkeeper's never going to have to deal with that. How does that help him? And it might be that actually simple little um, adjustments to your practice could be actually the goalkeeper never does more than two or three repetitions in a go. Um, they might do two or three, sit out for two or three, do two or three, sit out for two or three. Because you've also got to think about the quality of the goalkeeper and how they then perform when they're fatigued. And if they're getting peppered left, right and centre with finishes, well, what's that doing for your goalkeeper's confidence? And if you're not willing to support them and you, or you haven't got the insight of the quote-unquote knowledge to guide them and support them through that process, all you're doing is probably making uh, a bad situation even worse. So, I mean, th those are just some initial thoughts and ideas and insights based on my own experiences um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, <clears throat> Tony, and or anyone else has got experiences working as a goalkeeping coach, or even any of your outfield coaches there maybe had experiences working alongside goalkeeping coaches. Yeah, I think that that point there about the the work rest ratio is is really really important when it comes to goalkeepers because the um, a lot of their physical actions, their football actions, are very dynamic. Very, you know, the jumping, the twisting, the turning, the diving, the getting back up. They're they're actions which are quite powerful. Take can physically take a lot out of them. Probably more so than an outfield player in that moment where outfield players have to sprint and run and and jog and all the rest of it. But they do. There's a lot of times when they're walking around. Yeah, okay, the keepers standing for a lot of the game, but. The, but the mental, the mental side of that, um, I guess, is probably quite draining. It would be, you know, Yaz has already mentioned it. it this, this, there appears to be. I, I like looking at your little biographies, guys. So there's some pretty high-level, much better qualified uh, people on the call. If if you want to share some insights with us, uh, then just send a request to speak uh, to Yaz and feel free to join in. Um, one of the things that, again, over the years, as an as an academy coach, is when you're doing your your finishing practices, it's great if you've got two or three different goalkeepers, um, but there has been a tendency, uh, and I'm sure that this will resonate with a lot of you, to just almost treat the goalkeepers at times as as cannon fodder you know we're going to do a finishing practice now so you know all line up or we'll set up this little practice and and as Jazz says there's you know there's one keeper facing 10 shots in about three and a half minutes and by the end of that three and a half minutes he's blown out of his backside or she's blown out of her backside whereas the outfield players have done one pretty dynamic action and then sit out for three or four um, repetitions so you know it goes back to going back to the title of the uh, of this of the twitter space if we're going to integrate the goalkeeper these are all things that we have to take into consideration that 
that they're getting that they're being treated in the same way that you would treat your outfield players that you're doing it for the same reasons we you know we do x session because we want our defenders to get better so how will the defenders get better by doing this how will the keepers get better by doing this and by integrating them into the team and I, uh, I can't remember the guy who said it, and I know Yaz used the phrase um, last week, a part of the team rather than apart from the team. Um, uh, and it's, you know, it's definitely something that the outfield coaches in particular need to be a little bit more aware of. I think you're spotting, and, you know, just as you're speaking, it's just something that came into mind was how often we've got a finishing practice in... Um, you don't do it without the goalkeeper because the goal because the players need a goalkeeper to shoot against. All right, well, where's that? Where, you know, and the, the challenge and the consideration I throw out there for coaches. Why well, often do you consider that when the goalkeeper is the one having to deal with a practice one to one with a goalkeeper and coach? How often do you think about putting the putting the players in the session that the goalkeepers are working on to really support them? Because if they've got their players in front of them, there's no better way to get that realism than using players who are probably going to be playing at a similar level to them rather than, you know, <clears throat> a grown adult smashing balls at a, a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old or whatever that looks like. And obviously there is going to be some pros and cons to that as well. But, you know, if we're really looking at recreating and, and developing a realistic environment for our players and our goalkeepers in particular to train in, and how 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 likened is that is that the you know the real environment of the game that they pick, they're going to be playing? Um, you know we had you know, I had a question as well in the comment section around you know when would you start to specialise? And personally, for me, I don't think you should specialise in any position until you get to eleven v eleven. Um, I think in the pure nature of how the game is played, you'll see some players with different attributes and different qualities, which as time goes through, you you know you can start to. Uh, adapt um support and adjust where they may best fit in in your system in your team in your in your in your pathway if you like but i think fundamentally if you know whether you're coaching out for players or goalkeepers it's how well do they understand the game how well do they understand <clears throat> the principles of the game and, and the considerations for what will have an influence and an impact on their ability to perform or execute any actions or make decisions I think if you could start with that and raise those considerations, raise those variables, raise the awareness of those variables rather, then I think that's probably a great place to start before you start looking at specialising. But in terms of the goalkeeper in particular, I think you know the, the, the challenge is, is how often do you have someone who's ready to go into goal from the get-go and how easy is it for us to say, oh, well, that person wants to be a goalkeeper, so let's just keep them in the goal. Um, you know, And then you, you've got you, the flip side of it or the other considerations around it is, Parents not wanting their their child to play in goal because there's there's a stigma around it, or more specifically, you know, parents saying, "Oh, you, you know, my son or my daughter is a goalkeeper, so they, you know, they just want to play in goal." And it's, I think, you know, how how far are you willing to go as a coach to challenge that status quo? How far as a coach are you willing to go to challenge that perception of they're only this or they're only that? Um, you know, and I think in you know, the one thing I've always said about coaches, and I, and I and I say this about coach developers as well, coach developers' job is to take a coach's thoughts and considerations beyond where they're currently at, and that is just, you know for me the same as a coach. A coach's job is to help the players see, believe, and feel that there's more possible than what they currently think there is, and that could sometimes be a change of position. That could sometimes be actually, do you know what? 
you're already in a position where you're, you 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 look at you see, you know you're seeing some excellent qualities and they're excelling and they're getting some success. But don't just sit comfortable in the idea that this player is just gonna <clears throat> develop themselves. You know, put put the challenge in yourself and take some accountability and responsibility as a coach to say, well, what am I actually doing that's going to help this player get better? Whether an outfield player or a goalkeeping go- uh, goalkeeper in, in whatever stage or age they are. So I think there's a few different things just to kind of start to think about as coaches generally. But um, Tony, you know, it'd be interesting just to kind of you know get some final thoughts from you on on anything I've just said there, but more specifically. You know that that question for you. You know what are your thoughts on specialization and when it should take place. And obviously, in this particular context, the questions come regarding the goalkeeper. But what are your thoughts on that as a, as a general thing? Yeah, I think that um, the, the the point you made about if a player if a player comes to you at at a younger age, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, and you know, they turn up with their gloves and they turn up with the hat and the towel and their water bottle and, and they want to be a goalkeeper. I think that we we owe it to them um, to try and maximise that at that moment in time because if someone turned up and said they were a, a centre-forward, for example, at, at those same age groups, we're not immediately going to say, oh, well, you're a right-back. You know, we, we owe it to them to... To say, well, well, let's give it a go, and and let's see what we can do with that. And ultimately, if they if they show the some of the attributes um, at that age, then great, let's let's work with them. But at the same time, let's not discourage passing. Let's not discourage running with the ball. Let's have some games where there are no goalkeepers, for example. You know, going back to your point about the finishing practices, you know, we wouldn't do a finishing practice uh, without a goalkeeper, I think you said. Um, if you've got the equipment, I've sometimes done a finishing practice where I'll put a, a pop-up goal or a 9v9 goal inside a full-size goal. And goals only count if they go in between the two sets of frames. So, you know, again, as an outfield coach, if your goalkeeper doesn't turn up one night, for whatever reason, or they're, they're unavailable, there's no reason why you still can't do a finishing practice and make it pretty realistic in terms of where you want the shots to to go into the goal. So, but yeah, as far as specialisations concerned, the clubs that I've worked at, what we've kind of said is foundation phase. Um, so those not familiar with the term, the the very first age groups through 5v5, 7v7, 9v9, pretty much a global um, approach, play players in different positions, see what their skills and attributes are. If someone doesn't like it, then don't force them to do it. Um, by the time they get to the YDP, um, so starting to play the 11-a-side game, what we said at my last club was you need to be able to be familiar in an area of the pitch. So, for example, if someone was a right-back, could they also play right-sided centre-back? Could they play centre-midfield or right-midfield? Um, and then by the time they get towards the scholarship age, under 15, then they really need to be... If, if they want to get a scholarship in a position, they need to be playing that position. Uh, and, I, you know... I appreciate there's been lots of examples of players who've made it at the top level, who've played in different positions until they got to maybe even under 18. 
I think I read somewhere once that um, Fernando Torres, for example, was a goalkeeper until quite late on in the YDP. Uh, we've currently got a goalkeeper or, or was a goalkeeper with us last season at, at under 13, has always been a goalkeeper. Uh, but when we had trials at the end of last season, um, we felt that there were two better goalkeepers already in the club. Kid's now playing as a centre-forward and he's thriving in a different position. He still plays in goal, I believe, for his school. Um, but when he plays for us, he plays as a centre-forward. So, you know, there's no reason why we we need to limit players at, at all. But I, I guess as the game gets more serious... Um, and the stakes become more serious in terms of are they playing for a scholarship? Are they looking to get into an academy? Then they need to know what their best position is or what they feel their best position is. And we as coaches need to give them the best opportunity to succeed. Yeah, I think you're spot on there, Tony. I think, you know, <clears throat> you know again, using examples like Fernando Torres as an example, like you said, you know, he, he was a goalkeeper right, up, up until the YDP kind of age groups and then transition, well, transition into a centre-forward. And I think it's, you know, the, the question and the challenge, I, you know, I, I put out is, well, what what do you think the environment looked like that allowed him to develop that opportunity? You know, and and it's, I think similar similar situation with David De Gea as well. Um, you know, what do you think the environment was like that allowed them the opportunity to make that transition? Because there's no way Fernando Torres just woke up one morning and became a, became a you know a solid striker. It must have been some you know some integration of him as a goalkeeper in the team practices that made it relevant and transferable for him to make that transition. And you know that's all that's all I'm saying here. You know just to challenge the perception of well, what does it look like to integrate the goalkeeper? What do you actually want your goalkeeper to develop? Um, or rather, what skills and capabilities do you want them to be able to develop within that session or within their their journey or their arsenal of just a general toolbox as a player, if you like? And <clears throat> I go back to what I said earlier, and I think let's let's not put too much emphasis and focus in the early stages around the technical competency of the goalkeeper, because as long as they're keeping the ball out of the net, then that's you know that's the starting point. Don't fall into the trap of You've got someone as to, as you said, Tony. You know, rocks up at age nine, ten, eleven with their gloves, with their with their towel and their water bottle, and you just assume, oh well, happy days. We've got a goalkeeper now because they are gold dust. They are, um, but it doesn't mean that it's for everyone. And you know, I think your challenge as a coach, and you know, I think your responsibility as a coach too, is, is to identify well. One is this player. You know, making it making a good decision, or you know, or, or or probably could they be making a better decision around where their current capabilities lie, and what what is the potential that you're looking at, and which lens are you looking at it from? Are you looking at it just from the standpoint of, right, this kid is ten years old, but he's already five foot tall, and he's you know he he just wants to get hit by the ball, um, therefore I'm going to put him in goal, or actually could you utilise that capability, or the the skill sets and the attributes that they've got in a way that it can be better utilised elsewhere. And again, coming back to the, the phrase that you used earlier as well, Tone, you know, how, how are you making that goalkeeper? And I'm going to rephrase that. And how are you making that individual part of the team and not apart from the team? And don't let the fact that they've rocked up with their gloves, their water bottle and their, and their um, towel 
be the reason why they're being kept apart from the team. And I think that's probably one of the biggest considerations to make here in particular. And then, again, for those for those that are listening right now that are just out for coaches, what you th- you know, wh- why are you just an out for coach? You're a coach. You're a coach of players. A goalkeeper is one of them. And I think if you start to shift that perspective and that lens in the first instance, then you probably become more open-minded around how you can better support the goalkeepers. And <clears throat> I think one of the biggest things that I've taken away in my own journey is to understand and accept and be vulnerable enough to communicate that. As a coach, you don't have all the answers, but you're working with the, working with these individuals to identify what the problems are that they may 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 not be facing. And I think if you become better at identifying the problems then together working with your players, your colleagues, your peers, you can get to a point where you start to identify some solutions. Um, I don't know if you've got any final messages that you want to kind of leave with anyone, Tone, but you know, those are those are some key ones for me. Yeah, I think that, that the sort of my last sort of observation on this is, uh, you know, I accept that I've been in a fortunate position over the years where I've been able to be in and around pro clubs during the day um, and watch people... Um, like Andy Dibble, um, who obviously was a, an ex-top-level goalkeeper himself, working with goalkeepers and seeing that not just the technical um, work that they do, but the bonds that they form with with their goalkeepers. They they very much, you know, the goalkeepers' union is very much a real live thing. Um, when I was at York City, uh, we had a, co- a goalkeeper coach called Andy Collett. Um, and we got a very young, raw, 19-year-old, very inexperienced goalkeeper who came in on loan, uh, who was a, a bit rocky and a bit gangly and a little bit of this. guy's name was Nick Pope. He seems to be doing okay for himself. But I learned a lot from from watching what the goalkeeper coaches did uh, with, these, uh, with these goalkeepers, with the experienced ones and the young ones. Um, the best goalkeeper coaches that that I've seen were able to work with, you know, a senior pro with dozens of international caps and at the same time take the under-18 first-year YT who was absolutely crapping himself on the training ground and just make him feel part of the group um, and really, you know, get to know the person, get to know what they felt they were good at, what they wanted to, to get better at. Um, the the same way that hopefully you know the rest of us do, but you know because just because we work mainly with outfield players doesn't shouldn't stop us from discovering what our keepers want, what our keepers like, what our keepers need, uh, and then going some way to to meet them along that pathway. I think spot on, Tony. I think it's a great way to wrap it up, and I think it's just. And if there's one message you're going to take away from this, guys, just become more curious about how to how to get the goalkeepers integrated with your team. I think the curiosity is where where the, where the journey will start for you if you if you if it's an area that you're struggling with at the moment. Get to that point where you're just starting to think, well, how, you know, what does it look like for a goalkeeper to be involved in this? What does the role of the goalkeeper look like in this practice? And what's what you know what purpose and what benefit is it serving the goalkeeper themselves? And it can't just be as simple as, oh, well, we need someone to be in goal to take to, take, to save the shots. Okay, you, you can have that perception, you can have that that idea and that view on things, but goalkeepers probably never going to feel integrated within that team. And I think it's you know challenge yourself as a coach, open your mind, raise your raise your raise your considerations, your perceptions around 
what it looks like to be an effective goalkeeping coach as well. So if you if you've got the luxury and you've got the you know, the benefit of having a dedicated goalkeeping coach in your environment, how much work are you doing to actually understand well what the goalkeeper coach is doing with them, why they're doing that with them, so that you can better understand that yourself. Um, and then you know just a I guess a word of warning really, don't just allow the fact that you've got a goalkeeping coach in your environment leaving lead you to believe that they know what they're doing either challenge it try and understand it you know not not to be difficult but try and poke some holes in it to make sure that actually they know what they're doing too because there's so many goalkeeping coaches out there and I can tell you this for free that probably are not doing enough um, work with the goalkeepers in a, in a beneficial way but because they're quote unquote the goalkeeping coach in the environment they never get challenged they never get critiqued on what that looks like so don't don't just fall into that trap challenge it understand it learn from it and grow from it so just a reminder for everyone obviously this is a, a accredited cpd space and um, i've left the comment in the in the messages where you can access the link for the cpd all you've got to do is do a brief self-reflection task um so it takes literally two minutes once that's done um you'll obviously be eligible for your CPD hours. Obviously, it's only accredited for people that have got fan numbers with the English FA. Um, beyond that, this is part of a series of spaces that myself and Gerard, who's not been able to be with us tonight, as uh, we've been running throughout the month of February around the goalkeeping and developing the goalkeeper, um, at which case we've got one final space next week um, alongside a developing the goalkeeper webinar um, which will take place next week as well. I'll leave a comment on this chat as well, just so you can access that. Uh, massive thanks to Tony. Make sure you're following Tony. Make sure you follow myself. Um, there's, there's loads of discussions coming up and there's going to be some more series over the next couple of months. So hope you've enjoyed it, guys. Really appreciate you being involved tonight, even if it's just listening or leaving a comment. Um, don't be afraid to follow us. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know some future topics that you want to hear discussed on the spaces. Um, and if you've got any questions, make sure you're, you know make sure you get in touch follow us it's been a great evening thanks again tony much appreciated my pleasure thanks everybody for listening thanks Jazz, for hosting well there you have it guys another episode of the coaches network podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete talent and personal development together to just one platform and you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on instagram at the coaches network or on twitter at the coaches net we look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike.